0: Welcome to a Listen, Learn, and Lead series where we interview many of our outstanding leaders across the entire Naval Postgraduate School campus. Today we have Dr. Brian Bingham. Dr. Bingham is, a, is an associate professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering. He earned his PhD in mechanical engineering from MIT in 2003 and worked at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute in deep submergence lab work. And he came to us from the University of Hawaii. Dr. Bingham is also the director of Cruiser, the important consortium for robotics, unmanned systems, education and research. And we are in one of the labs that Dr. Bingham leads and in which many of his students do their research. But Dr. Bingham, welcome. Thank you. First of all, let me thank you for being here and, and having us an opportunity to have a share in the learning of the things that you're doing and that your students are doing and leading. Before I do that though, tell me about how you got into this work and some of your own background that would let us know how you got here.
1: Sure. Um, well, thank you for having me. I think this is a great um, initiative that you and your team put together. So the way, that, the way that I got here to Monterey is, is a, uh, certainly an evolved route, not a planned route. And um, so in graduate school, uh, this was in the late 90s, early 2000s, that's when we first started seeing some of the stuff you see around here at the table, these small unmanned underwater systems. We call them autonomous underwater vehicles. So the convergence of some of the technology, and at the time that was applications of some of the academic things I was really interested in. And um, frankly, it was a really it was a fairly neat time to be in, involved with new technology. And so I've been kind of, no pun intended, riding that wave ever since, in the sense that it's, it's something I'm really passionate about, about working in the ocean, under the ocean. And I've had tons of opportunities and great mentorship along the way to be able to continue to do that. And MPS is, the reason I came to MPS is because of its experience in this world and because of the unique defense um, challenges that we have in operating these kinds of systems, specifically ocean robotics.
0: So let's drill down a bit in that area. So underwater unmanned systems, uh, certainly they have been around for a while. We've had unmanned systems in the air around for a while. What is it that is that's new about this? What is it that you're trying to accomplish here for making them more effective and more useful?
1: You're exactly right. and uh, and. Admiral Williams, Admiral Rick Williams, and I uh, like to talk about the fact that you know, it's been a very quick transition over the last 25 years in getting into unmanned systems, and that you know we've talked about these kinds of applications for a long time, and we're starting to see them come to fruition, and I think some of the, some of the same problems are there. You know, Underwater, we don't have GPS, so we need to worry about navigation. Precision navigation and timing is one of those, and the Navy has a long history of dealing with those kinds of problems. And underwater, we don't have access to GPS satellites. So how do we navigate? Um, how do we deal with timing issues? So those are still persistent problems, but as the technology's gotten better and better, we're able to do so much more. So we're able to get multiple vehicles working together. We're able to get underwater vehicles coordinated with surface vehicles and air vehicles, sort of multi-domain, looking at, um, you know, what we talk about in swarms of vehicles. So um, we're nowhere near the end of it. Um, the I would say when I got into it, building new vehicles was a challenge. Now we can really buy these vehicles and start to do really interesting things with them.
0: So what's interesting is that you're not only talking about the actual vehicles, but as you have just described, you're talking about how they can work with each other and, and integrate, for lack of a better phrase, and, and synergize and optimize what they could all do together in some sort of a system, of an unmanned system.
1: A hundred percent. And then we're seeing the, the human-machine teaming aspects yeah. of these. You know, how do we get men and women at sea to be able to conceptualize how to use these new tools? And how do we make it so that it's smooth and effective for them to use them and to build trust in those unmanned systems?
0: So one of the things that is evident with your program in cruiser, uh, Dr. Bingham, is that the Secretary of the Navy has had a great deal of interest in this entire area of work. What is it that has um, uh, impressed you about the sponsors involved in all of that, and how the Navy has been uh, talking with you and dealing with you uh, with their questions? Because this is a an, a an all of Navy and all of defense capability. How What has really been the way that sponsors and, and others have been working with you?
1: I will say that NPS, in addition to being a sort of unique educational institution, we're also sort of unique within the naval R&D enterprise in that, um, you know, our mandate is different. And we've seen the sponsors sort of come to us to complement the larger S&T enterprise and to, you know, be... Um, almost, you know, neutral third parties when it comes to thinking about strategy. In that, you know, our mission is really about the students. And um, because of that mission, we build up an expertise around these technologies and the policies that go with them. And so being involved, one of the things that I guess I'll say that we've cruiser through the leadership of Jeff Klein and Ray Bittner and and now me as the director, we've been really involved with strategy development both for DOD and the Department of the Navy. And that's been really rewarding to me personally, and I think a good spot for MPS because of this convergence of all of our students with this operational background and the way that they think about problems coming out of the fleet, it's really personal for them. And you know, you combine that with the expertise we have in the technology, and it gives us a you know it's it's a unique perspective that we can add to the conversations about thinking about roadmaps and master plans and strategies for the future. And so I think they've been, they've been pretty proactive in using NPS as a resource for that.
0: So you actually bring up two excellent points. So strategy and technology and, and, and how they come together. That rather is, I mean, we've always, that's always been the case for militaries and, and strategies and technologies. But what do you see? Are some of the inflection points now for strategy and technology? What do you What do you think is different? There are some constants always. Sure. But uh, that's you know. But what are the things that are different? What are what what will distinguish this age as a new inflection point?
1: So, I think that we are, you know, and and I'm not a I'm not a futurist. I'm a you know I'm a technologist. So okay. I I will say that um, we are. I think increasingly to the point where the platforms themselves are commodities. You can, you know, you can go buy a, especially in the aircraft domain, you can go buy an unmanned aerial vehicle that's fairly capable for a very low budget. And so that creates um, asymmetrical opportunities and liabilities. And so I think that we've seen already that as a real, how do we counter those kinds of activities when they're not just the... Um, domain of the United States or near peers that everybody can employ these kinds of systems so how do we counter those kinds of technologies I think is is we're seeing that now that it's so ubiquitous that that threat um, we spent so much time trying to get them to work and now we're trying to figure out how to defend against them because they're so ubiquitous.
0: Actually again you raise uh, another great point I know that Dr. Peter Deming here uh, Dr. Denning talks a lot about innovation adoption, and that technology that it is not about technology as much as how people use the technology yeah. so that of course goes to the strategy issue but you also said uh, something else interesting about how technology is is very personal to people, and that when you go out to the fleet when you go out and see the operators, what do you what is your sense about their openness and their thinking about unmanned systems? What has surprised you about what they're thinking and how they're thinking?
1: I think what's... Uh, I'll, I'll kind of tell you maybe a very specific thing that surprised me is um, just recently. So uh, we had stood up this uh, robotics edu- robotics engineering certificate yeah. program. And it took us a while to get that stood up. And um, because we were you know, we were concerned about the demand for it. And the surprising thing was when we got it stood up and we put it out there, the the demand has exceeded our capacity to to satisfy it. And so I think that's been, I had always kind of hoped that, you know, I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little biased, but, um, you know, people from the warfare centers, um, people from the fleet have, you know, just kind of come out of the woodwork and said, we need more of that. We need more of the, of the, we need to have our men and women that are working at the, at the warfare centers, at the Navy labs, to do some retooling about how to put these kind of technologies together. Um, and, and, I, and again to the point that it's different than what they can get necessarily at a civilian institution. It's, it's, it's complementary in the fact that, you know, they come from backgrounds from great schools, from Stanford and Georgia Tech and all these great technology schools, but they're, you know, what they're looking for NPS to do is, how do we take that fundamental knowledge and still within a, an engineering technology how do we apply it to these really mission critical uh, platforms so that was i was surprised at how much demand there was for the um for the education part of it
0: that's interesting so cruiser has been a pacer for the university with regard to um looking at the at the technology from a cross-disciplinary all of university a whole of university kind of point of view Tell me how that has informed your thinking about this and what have you seen as results of that?
1: Um, so, that's a, that's a great observation, in that, um, and I will uh, defer all credit to that to Jeff Klein and, and Ray Bittner in the way they established Cruiser back in 2011. And from the beginning, this may get a little too far in the weeds, but they situated it at the dean of the research level. So, we're not within a particular school or a department. And that's been structurally really important. But the other thing is just the culture within our very small team has always been that balance between, and this oversimplifies it, but the engineering and the operations, you know, if we think about yeah. campus in that way. And, um, you know, and just in every little decision we make, we try to make sure that we are um, representing all of that and putting aside our own biases, right? Like I talked a little bit about what i love right but that's you know we recognize that we want as you said it's not just a technology program we need people like molly mcguire who are cognitive scientists thinking about how do we adopt and trust these systems right right? and that's not my domain but we need to we need to bring that in if we're going to solve these problems
0: so what are we what are we looking at on the table here
1: um so uh so so we're looking at a couple of pieces and parts from um unmanned systems in this case uh the one here is a pressure housing for a remus vehicle so one thing we'll, we'll see when we walk around the lab is that uh, one of the distinct aspects about this lab, the Center for Autonomous Vehicle Research, um, which is run by Dr. Vlad Vokhodov, is that students get access to, you know, real defense hardware. And so this is a program of record, Mark 18, Mod 1 program, Remus vehicles made by a commercial vendor. Um, and this is a custom housing that uh, Professor Doug Horner and his students put together. And if you, uh, if you look here, it's got a a camera in it. So he's looking at, I mentioned the navigation problem, how do you navigate underwater with a camera? So with just a single monocular camera, so they built up, him and his students built up this whole system and then are integrating the software which is some of the the embedded computers you see here, another camera, to be able to do what uh, Doug works on is terrain-aided navigation. So without any sensors, how do you move over the bathymetry of the bottom and localize yourself. So, sure. I really, I, I, I love that problem. Like, I have a copy of my dad's copy about it on my desk. Like, I, <laughs> I love that history of the Navy working yeah. in navigation, you yeah. know. So, he was a navigator on a destroyer, and I always I always think that there's some fun history there.
0: So, you mentioned the camera lab. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Of course, yeah. So, we're sitting in the conference room of a, um, of a great facility here at NPS called the Center for Autonomous Vehicle research, and this is, um, again, across the school, Um, it is a, you know, very much a facility. So it's where students and faculty and researchers can share and come together to work on multi-domain problems. So we have a set of assets, we have um, folks, we have, uh, you know, full-time staff members who, you know, care and feed for some of these vehicles, because you can imagine, you know, just like anything that goes in saltwater, these take a fair amount of care and feeding. Um, and so that currently the director is Vlad Dvokhodov, who's, um, who's in mechanical and aerospace engineering as well. But um, that is again a multidisciplinary, multi-domain, so when we walk around we'll see stuff that flies, we'll see stuff that goes into space, we'll see stuff that's at the surface yeah. and underwater. And um, it's, a, it's a great place to bring students early in their time here at NPS. Because you can just walk into this high bay mm-hmm. and you can say, all right, pick your toy, right? Mm-hmm. So you choose what you want to work on. So,
0: so we'll, uh, we'll be going out to the lab and looking at a few things there. And when we do, uh, you can show us some of those kinds of capabilities. Tell us a student story uh, prior to us going out to the lab. And I'll ask you this uh, again out in the lab. Tell us a student story that, that, you had an, uh, that a student had an aha moment or the student was so terrific that they, he or she had an impact either within the school or outside of us.
1: So as far as student impact and maybe some of those aha moments. So I had a student, um, Nicholas, I won't use his last name for fear of retribution, but um, he, he was a surface warfare officer and um, he came to NPS. And when, when students come to MPS, they have a wide aperture in terms of what they can work on. And, and we ended up through class, sort of uh, starting to talk about research topics. And he ended up working on a, a navigation platform for an unmanned surface vehicle. And we did field testing, and it was, it was a great thesis he put together. But what really, I guess, more impacted me was it made um, an impact on the way he thought about his career. And it, since then, he's gone on to work at a warfare center and split his time between that and a program office. And it's been really fantastic to follow his career and have him sort of use that, like he was learning a bunch of stuff that he didn't know he was going to need. And then he reaches back to us and to me and to the lab and says, hey, where's that paper we read in that class? Or where's the thing from my thesis? And so um, the impact is kind of on me, but to see that trickle over time through his career and to widen his view of what's possible and get him involved in some of these conversations about strategy, about where the Navy's going, so that you know, hopefully he's thinking about his career in a little different way and, and he can bring that back to the fleet. Like that's, I think, impactful both ways.
0: Well, that's great. So let's, let's go take a walk and go through the, uh, through the lab and talk about some things there as well, okay? Okay. Great. We're going to start here at the air unmanned systems. and so. If you would let us know what we're seeing here it'd be great
1: yes yes ma'am thank you um so this is a platform it's a program of record it's called a scan eagle it was um, now made by boeing and it's a platform that nps has a long history with and uh, they've been developing what's called a backseat controller so this pressure housing over here is actually they can put the autonomy into this canister that then controls this aircraft and Doug Horner is really interested in using that for his network control systems. And this becomes a platform, probably five to 10 students every year write a thesis involving experimental data that come from these platforms. So it's a capability that we have. And it's one of the unique aspects of MPS in that students are able to access you know, real defense hardware. So when they're doing their thesis on unmanned aerial vehicles, they're working with a scan angle that they may or may not have worked in, with in the fleet and that they may or may not work, work in the fleet when they go back to see that. So um, that's sort of one aspect of our air vehicles that we fly um, both here and down at Camp Roberts at our field experimentation facility. These are made by a company called Hydroid and they're also a program of record. So when students are working on a thesis project that involve these, This is the same thing that they would see if they were gonna go over to Bahrain and do mine countermeasures. These are the exact, actually their vehicles are a little bit newer, but they're very similar vehicles. And again, um, this work is being really led by Doug Horner. And um, one of the unique aspects, so what we tend to do at NPS is kinda push the edge, right? So um, the folks who are doing mine countermeasures and they're they're down there looking on the bottom for mines or mine-like objects. um, So what Doug and his group have been doing is actually using these under ice. And so this is actually part of the navigation system and you'll see it's looking up because they're actually navigating relative to the ice. So they've actually deployed these um, up in the Arctic during IceX a half years ago now. Um, And so this is another, I think, example of students being able to use real authentic hardware. And I'll say not only in their thesis projects and research projects, but he teaches a class here at MPS where not only do they learn how to work these robots here in the lab, but they go out in Monterey Bay and with the blessing of the sanctuary and everyone else. They go out and collaborating with NOAA and our friends at Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, they're able to deploy these as part of their class. So, so
0: in these uh, various uh, experiments and, and the lab work here, what would be an example of the interdisciplinary uh, presence here? This would be the physics department and, and who else? <laughs>
1: um, that's, a, that's a really good question and it's almost hard to answer because every one of them is a little bit different, but um, I'll use Doug Horner as an example because he's a, he's a good, um, good one for this. He got his PhD in computer science. He sits in mechanical engineering. He works with people in uh, electrical and computer engineering, doing um, like artificial intelligence machine learning type of applications. And um, so that kind of gives you a breadth of not only in the, in the engineering side, and then with these vehicles in particular, again to even spread that a little farther um, over in our in systems engineering, a faculty by the name of John Dillard, who works on, not the technology of this, but how are these getting adopted into the fleet? What are the barriers from the acquisition side of getting these out and, and getting employed as, um, the, as the expeditionary warfare folks go from one company to 15? So these have, as we talked a little bit about, it's been 25 years coming to get these out into the fleet, but all of a sudden, it's like, yes, we need these, and so he's working on how do we, how do we actually Work on the uh, non-technical side of getting them adopted. These vehicles—they're—they're um, they're workhorses. These have been around for ten or fifteen years, and some of the th- some of the thesis students that operate these vehicles—they're called pioneers—and. Um, a number of students happen to be in electrical engineering, electrical and computer engineering, work with these vehicles to do like terrain, terrain navigation. So how do you, um, you'll see them running around on campus uh, in, in yeah. better times when we're allowed to be here on campus and do experiments. Um, you'll see them running around on campus trying not to run into things. Um, and they're real surrogates. So when, and when we teach classes, we tend to use these vehicles. Um, not because we think that's what the students are going to end up applying their thesis research to, but this isn't going to sink. This isn't going to crash. Right. So it's a really stable platform. If it if it runs out of battery, it'll just sit there. So, um, so they're a real teaching aid to get students to stair-step up through Learning the fundamentals, the mathematics, to then doing stuff here in the lab, and then working out in the field in our experiments. So
0: that's an interesting comment. So you could take a, a student who has a great deal of background in this, would not maybe need this, but you might have a student who has a lot of operational, tactical experience, but does not know some of the principles. And so now you have taken the uh, the on the one hand the in the intellectual aptitude, the other on the other hand the experiential aptitude and bringing it together and tailoring it to the students' needs in order to, to bring
1: each one up. A hundred percent, and I think that if, uh, if we're not doing that at NPS, we, you know, we're, we're not fulfilling all the opportunity we have. Yeah. One of the great things about being a faculty member at NPS is our students come with that operational background, mm-hmm. and so the technology is personal to them in that they need that technology to solve problems that they've experienced. And so we had a student a year and a half ago or now, and it was uh, co-advised by Vlad Dubokhodov and I. And he was interested in how do we use vehicles like this to support maritime interdiction operations?
0: Mm-hmm. So this is a lab. We went up upstairs and we saw the lab. And then down here, we were in the conference room of, of, of this area. And obviously there is what's missing right now are our students. Yes, ma'am. And so we 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 missed that during this COVID-19 period. But there's still the underlying question about leadership. And you, you touch many students, and you have an, op- an opportunity to interact with them as they discover, as they, as they, as they find uh, creative solutions, as they innovate and create. If they were to come up to you and say, Dr. Bingham, talk to us about, about leadership and some of your views of leadership, what would be your answer?
1: Um, so I- for me personally, I think the, the only thing I can talk about in terms of leadership is, is my community. And I think that, the for me, the special thing about NPS is it's this blending of communities and cultures, right? The academic culture and the military culture um, are mutually reinforcing. And if we're in balance, NPS is a magical place. And so what I would say is that as much as they show me their community, and I see what leadership means there, Um, I can talk about what I think leadership means in the academic side. And um, as we've talked about before, the academic structure tends to be flatter, Um, but I think leadership is is a lot the same in that um, it's about mutual respect, it's about, you know, we mentioned integrity, and I think academic integrity, just like integrity and honor mean something on the military side, it may not mean the exact same thing, but the root is there of, you know, you're only as good as your reputation. And, you know, if if we're treating our students um, not as traditional students, but as, you know, both as students and as men and women in uniform who are keeping this country safe, I, I think there's some real goodness there that you can't get anywhere else. and it's you know, occasionally we get it wrong. Occasionally we get that mutual respect wrong, and you know, and, but it's very, very rare in my experience at MPS. So, but when we get it right, we span that whole space. And um, so I think back to the leadership side, um, for me, being an academic, sort of my, in my professional life, um, it's, you know, it's really about sort of leading by example and, and stepping up, and for me, I, at least I try to, um, always be both a both a team player and um, and a leader where I can. And think of leadership as service. Right. You know, as leadership as, you know, when it's my turn to get called, I'll do my darndest to to do my service and then um, you know and then having respect for somebody else who's willing to step up because right. boy doesn't that feel good if somebody else will take it does it for does. a little while.
0: Well we want to thank you Dr. Bingham for all that you do for us every day you help us to discover some new things it's been fun to come out at down here to the lab and play with some other toys of science and technology but our gratitude is to you for what you're doing to create new knowledge to to absolutely inspire intellectual capacity and to help the whole process of discovering and creating solutions to really big wicked problems and to the challenges and opportunities. So on behalf of the entire NPS community, I thank you for this time and for your interview remarks. Thank you very much. Thank you, ma'am.